gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Welcome to Theology Gals, and I am Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Rachel Miller. It's Rachel's first week co-hosting with me, and I'm so excited to have her. We're having fun kind of figuring out some topics that we're going to be addressing, and some of the topics we're going to be addressing just the next, um, or maybe even kind of scattered throughout, is some of the things from Rachel's book. Uh, a lot of the things in Rachel's book are things that we have gotten emails and messages saying, can you talk about this? And in fact, one of the things we're going to talk about today is something that several people have uh, asked us to talk about. And that's specifically, are women more easily deceived? Because you hear that a lot in the church. So I think, Rachel, you for your book, you did like a lot of research and saw a lot of the stuff that's out there. Um, and a lot, there's, I even myself, I guess in the last 10 years had to rethink things that I was taught about men and women because I became reformed in the mid nineties and, you know, I was taught things and I just thought, well, that sounds good to me. I was young. Um, but you ran into a lot of these kind of common misconceptions, uh, misunderstandings, things that aren't necessarily biblical uh, when you were researching for your book, didn't you? Absolutely. There were so many things. I I really did like three or four years of research uh, into the, before I wrote the book. And so many sources. And this, this topic shows up over and over again in lots of different, like, resources. It's not just that it's in, you know, just what you would consider like patriarchy resources or just in this one author. It's, uh, it's kind of across the board in lots of different places. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things um, I've been kind of doing some research, you know, even for this episode and thinking back to things that I was taught, especially 
if you look in the mid 90s, and I think, you know, we had a lot of reactionary stuff uh, back then, or even when I was growing up in the 80s and uh, early 90s with um, recovering biblical manhood and womanhood and these sorts of things. Uh, And I realized just how many things that were talked about that I've been bought into sometimes, um, just because it was a common thing. And I wasn't in patriarchal circles. I was, I was, you know, in the OPC and the RPCNA and the PCA and, um, and, and I still saw a lot of these same things. And I'm learning, even from some interactions online, that some of these things are right in our own circles. Unfortunately, so. Well, this, this first one that we're going to talk about, uh, really is one that I kind of lost count of how many people would email us and say, can you please talk about this? Are women more easily deceived? I personally know people that believe this. It comes from First um, Timothy 2 is what's often used. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, to, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So this passage right here is often used. So see, Eve was deceived. That's why women aren't supposed to be pastors. And therefore, all women should are easily deceived. So... Um, <laughs> You you even had, I, I took this quote from your book, but mm-hmm. you have a, a quote from Joseph Piper, and he's at a Reformed Seminary, and he says about this passage, Paul is saying that she is not to teach men or exercise authority because of her susceptibility to deception. God has not made her to exercise the kind of hard judgmental discernment that is necessary in theological and scriptural issues. By nature, a woman will more likely fall prey to the subtleties of mental and theological error. So, wow. Right. It was one of those quotes that I read while I was, and I came across it kind of by accident while I was doing some of the research, and I thought, oh, well, pretty straightforward. Um, a lot of times it's more uh, subtle in in what they say, but this was really very straightforward. And, you know, the logic there is, well, so Eve was deceived. So, and all women are like Eve. Therefore, women can't be trusted to make um, theological, particularly theological decisions uh, or uh, interpretation. And aside from some other issues that we'll get into about this, it always bothered me to take that logic, because if we go by that logic, that all women are like Eve, then aren't all men like Adam and therefore prone to outright rebellion. You know, it's not a very strong argument for uh, male ordination if we if we use Adam and Eve as our uh, examples of how all men and women are um, just like Adam and Eve. And, you know, I'm not arguing against male ordination, qualified male ordination, but it's it's an odd way to go about defending it. And I think about all the logical implications of this view. Mm-hmm. So now are, are women allowed to treat, teach doctrine to their children or to other women or to speak about it on a podcast? 
Well, and we've we've heard all that, right? We, you and I both have heard uh, there's discussions about at what age should women no longer teach children, right? And typically, at some point around teenage, then uh, most churches will, most conservative churches will move uh, the the education of children from women to men at that point, uh, or there are questions even in homeschooling about dads taking over teaching their especially their boys when they reach a certain age and you know i've heard talks on that in the homeschooling circles but beyond that there's discussions about whether or not it's okay for women to uh to blog about theology to write about theology to podcast about theology and some say well it's okay as long as you're only talking to women right or it's okay if your audience is intended for women but if a man listens to it, but that wasn't your intent to teach a man. Or really, you shouldn't do it at all because, you know, women, we really should stick to teaching only things like um, how to be a good, a good wife, how to be a good mother, and we should focus on that. And it's, it's interesting to watch all the different, you know, mental gymnastics of, of how to apply well, if women are easily, more easily deceived and we can't trust what they say about theology, then what's okay for them to do? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really straightforward here when I say this. And um, I think if somebody does believe that that's what this means, then the, the natural, logical implication that has to flow from that is that women shouldn't teach theology to anybody. Right. Be, and I mean, if that's if this is what you believe, then um, then you're going to be more easily deceived in teaching theology to women or your children. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are people that do that that are consistent and believe that that women sure. are sh- should only be teaching how to be a, a wife and a mom and um, practical sorts of things, but never anything theologically and never biblical sort of sort of teaching which is interesting in and of itself because even to talk about how to be a good wife and mother it's a very theological discussion you know it's not it's not um separate or or divorced from you know theology well everything we do is about is related to what we believe about god and how we should act so even if you're teaching only how to be a good wife and mother you're still going to be teaching theology yeah, as Christians, um, how how we um, are a wife to our husbands and how we mother our children is based on what we believe about God and from the Word of God. So you can't. You're you're exactly right. I did hear one person argue once that um, that women are not even to teach other women practical things like that. That it um, they made the argument from that passage that. Um, it is only by example. So there are people that that uh, will will teach that. Well, I I know that people are going to have some questions about this passage, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, and you've done so much research, I know, from your book, and there's even a section in your book specifically about this passage. And I I would really love to hear you kind of talk about how we should understand this passage and why we don't believe it's saying all women are more easily deceived, and therefore that's why they should not be pastors. Uh, I think what's important in looking at 
any scriptural passage is to look at uh, the whole context, right? So using scripture to interpret scripture, especially uh, using the the easier to understand passages to help us understand the more difficult passages. Uh, looking at this passage uh, in isolation leads to a whole bunch of um, unfortunate application. Uh, if you consider Paul's teaching as a whole, his concern about false teachers uh, runs across most of his books. And he's concerned about false teaching and the effect on the church, not just for women, but also for men. What I think uh, and what I've seen in some of the commentaries is Paul's concern here is about false teachers who are using women, and particularly certain women in the church, to spread false teaching. And it would be similar to Second Timothy 3, where it talks about uh, these false teachers who are creeping into the church and uh, taking uh, certain women immature, or certain weak women, uh, taking them captive, if you will, by their false teaching and using them to spread their false teaching into the church. And so, in context, you know, you see Paul's concern about um, about false teaching in the church. In fact, Paul later uses Eve not just as an example for women, but in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he uses it, uses Eve as Eve's deception as an example for how all believers, men and women, need to be careful about not being led astray. And in that passage, he says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And again, in uh, Romans 16, you have Paul warning that uh, Keep your eyes on those who cause dissensions, who uh, teach contrary to the teaching that you've learned, and these men deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So this idea that we are prone to deception is a human trait. We are all uh, susceptible at some point in our lives and in, in some point in our walk with Christ. We have to be careful, and we shouldn't. We should never think that we are so strong that we can't be deceived. Uh, I think that that's something that. Uh, it's easy to be proud and think, well, I'll, you know, I would never fall for wrong doctrine. But um, Paul warns again and again that there are false teachers and they are after us in the church and not just the women. Uh, they're after the men as well. And we have examples of men being deceived, too. Absolutely. It's not just <laughs> women. Yeah, we, we see it. We, we even see it. Because sure. we have lots of pastors out there that are, have been deceived into um, heretical teachings. Right. And and then are now passing these down to their flocks, and we we have warnings. I think Matthew twenty four twenty four off the top of my head that false teachers will come and deceive even the elect, if possible. If possible, mm-hmm. and that and that's specifically speaking about men being false teachers, I believe. So, um, there. I appreciate that you talked about how we have to interpret scripture with the rest of scripture. Because um, we can get in trouble if we just take one passage kind of out of context. So one thing that I've thought about in regards to this discussion is that we often see in churches where it's men can be teachers, women can't. Um, and what's often neglected in that discussion is, is when we're talking about pastors and elders, that scripture says qualified men. And so suddenly, okay, we're not going to allow any women to teach Sunday school, you know, once a kid turns 12, because um, it's women, um, you know, aren't permitted to teach. And now this is a young man and, and whatnot, but any man can instead of 
I'm often am not, or not in all circles, I think we, in a lot of our Reformed or Presbyterian churches, do a good job with this. But sometimes there's not a distinction between men and qualified men. Absolutely. And I think it's because of passages like this. Yeah, um, you know, we've talked about, I talk about it in my book, and I've, I've talked about it, on, I think, probably in the last podcast, that when, when we're talking about the qualifications for, for elder and for um, pastor, for the, the ordained leadership, it's more than just male, right? That it's a, a pretty high bar that Scripture sets for who should be ordained, who's qualified to be ordained in the church. And, you know, when we say, well, any man will do in a pinch, right? then we're really undermining our uh, our arguments for ordained leadership and for it being qualified men. And it's a shame because it, it allows men who are not qualified or men who have been disqualified to continue teaching. And that's another way that false teaching gets into the church. So what are some examples of throughout scripture that we see of women showing theological discernment? Because those examples do exist. This was, uh, I, I deal with this in my book, and it was one of my favorite passages to write because of the research and, and looking through scripture for examples of women and, and how they showed uh, theological discernment. And um, in Judges 13, you have Samson's mother. The angel comes and tells them that, and tells her that she's going to have a baby and that she needs to take, uh, he will be a Nazarite, has to take the vow of uh, not cutting his hair and not eating. Um, uh, from grapes or drinking wine, and he gives her the same restrictions while she's pregnant. And when the angel leaves after they've given, uh, they give an offering, uh, her husband turns to her and says, God's going to kill us. And he, she says, no, if God was going to kill us, he wouldn't take the offering. He wouldn't be telling us these, these kind things that he's going to do for us. We're good, you know. God. And so she had more insight and, was, and counseled her husband uh, in a way that is a good model for us as wives to counsel our husbands and to discuss things uh, with the insight and wisdom that we have. And uh, other examples, you'd have uh, uh, the prophetess Huldah, who the king goes to in Second Kings. And uh, there were other prophets at the time, but this is the one that they sent for. And she spoke from the Lord and gave him insight as to what was going to happen and encouragement because um, most of what she tells him is pretty bleak, but she warn- tells him that because his heart is for the Lord, that God will be kind to him. As for women teaching their own children, you have Lois and Eunice, uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother, who instructed him in the faith. And uh, Priscilla, along with her husband, Aquila, uh, taught and corrected Apollos, and you see that in Acts 18. Uh so that he could teach. And, and that's an example of teaching someone who was, who went on to be one of the great teachers of the early church. You know, he was a preacher, you know, and she helped correct him. Um, and then Anna in the temple, she recognizes Jesus and, and tells others about him. So she had insight as to who this, uh, who this baby was and, and why he was there. And I think each of those examples helps us helps us see uh, a biblical picture of women having theological discernment, showing theological discernment, uh, and and that's a good balance against the idea that all women are obviously more easily deceived and can't be trusted. So I think that some of us have seen maybe if it it might not be as blatant, but we've seen 
because of this view, um, some damages and things that happen in the church. Um, you talk in your book about women being throw pillows, <laughs> um, which that's a, a great section. So I, I do want to recommend, I'm still going to recommend again, Rachel's book, and then also Amy Bird's book, No Little Women. Yes. Uh, we had her on the podcast about it, but she talks a lot about, I mean, that book is about women in the church. I have so many visions that come to my head. Maybe vision isn't the right word, but scenes that I've situations I've been in come to my head where you're at a church gathering and the men are in one corner discussing theology and the women are in the other corner discussing child rearing and me thinking, I want to be on the other side. I want to go to discuss theology. But a lot of times um, you'll see, I, I hear from women that will tell me that their church does these real fluffy women's Bible studies. And thankfully I, um, best Bible, one of the best Bible studies I was ever in. A dear friend of mine who's gone to be with the Lord now, but it was uh, I was kind of newly reformed, and she said, "We're just gonna go through the Book of Hosea," and we're and we took like months going through the Book of Hosea and really digging in. And uh, but a lot of times you don't even see that in women aren't encouraged to study theology, um, right. and. So what are, what are some of the things that you've seen or, I mean, maybe you've heard stories or you read about it on what has happened because of how women are viewed in the church because of this passage? Well, it's interesting. I was thinking recently, and I, I remembered a time when I was in college, and I, I haven't shared this story anywhere, but um, I was in college at an RUF retreat. And, you know, all of us there, we're all students, and we were sitting around talking, and you know, especially with RUF in this early days, uh, you know, more than 20 years ago, they were, the discussions get really deep. People talk about some really great things. And so I was used to really discussing and getting into the meat of things. And uh, for whatever reason that year, one of the big discussions was pedo baptism. Do you, should you baptize babies? Should babies be baptized? Um, should you wait for a confession of faith? And I was there with a couple other guys and there was a seminary student who was there. I don't know where he was from, but we started talking, and he was talking about, um, and really it was interesting because he was really making a, an argument for credo baptism. And, and you know, I, I said, well, you know, if you look at these passages, you see in uh, you know the, the household baptisms, and and so I started giving some of the scriptural evidence, and he he dismissed me, and then he turned so that he wasn't talking to me anymore. I was cut out of the group. And I remember thinking about it, looking back, I was like, oh, that was interesting, because it, it bothered me at the time, but I hadn't experienced that much. Most of my circle of friends were pretty open about, you know, men and women, we all discussed together. It was no big deal. Um, but that kind of thing happens, that if a woman is interested in theology, she's either dismissed or she's treated with suspicion, because she can't be trusted, right? She's just trying to usurp. Uh, male male authority, and she's prone to deception. And it's frustrating as a woman who is interested in theology and who likes to discuss it to have that kind of uh, being relegated to, you know, I think Hannah Anderson calls them the pink passages of Scripture, um, and expected to be content with fluffy, um, frilly studies that that never get to real depth and um, discernment level scripture studies. Um, 
And I say that as a woman who has been in some great Bible studies for women. I have been blessed by some women who taught studies, and they were just fabulous Bible studies. But I've also been through my share of the other. One of the things I'm thinking about, and I'm kind of wondering your thoughts on this, is a lot of times people will come in the Theology Gals group and they'll say, you know, none, uh, there's just not ladies at my church who like to talk about theology and they're struggling with this because the Bible studies are more fluffy and they don't really have any women to kind of have these theological discussions with. Do you think that is a result of of this, um, of they're not investing in women theologically in the church and um, viewing women this way? Uh, I think there's, yes, I think there's probably a, several different things at play. Not everyone is interested in discussing theology, men or women, right? There, there are people who are just not very interested in, in, it's a, it can be kind of a niche topic, right? You know, we, we have right. our, our people. Um, but on the other hand, I think a lot of women, especially in the generation just older than us, who, you know, in the reaction in the 80s, especially, and then later with the, the second wave feminism and uh, the push for women's ordination and such, that there was a real backlash against uh, women showing too much interest, right? So women needed to be instructed on how to be good wives and mothers because the, these feminists were telling them that they, you know, that being a wife is bad, being a mother is bad. And so there were these, this focus and intended or not, the message was sent down that this is what you should discuss. And so even some of the women who would probably be very much interested in more in-depth studies feel like they shouldn't, or they feel like it's not their place. And others, there has been such a, uh, such a lack of investment in teaching women, so that you hear things like, oh, well, yeah, the women's ministry, it's just what the women are learning. It's not a big deal. But... It really isn't right, big deal, right? <laughs> yeah, these are it's half the church, and some churches more than half the church. These are the women, and it matters what we learn because, you know, when Paul warns that there are false teachers who are going after women who haven't been well trained, haven't been well taught, it still happens today. There are lots of false teaching that come in through these fluffy studies that are, you know, seemingly kind of innocuous, but you know, it, it's it's. You know, it's how you know it's safe for women. It's got flowers and a script font and a pastel colors, right? That's that's how you know this book is a safe women's book, right? And that's about this date deep. And most of the elders and the and the men in the church, uh, the leadership in the church, aren't reading and finding out what's being taught, or there's not much investment in churches into what the into women and their studies. And so women are looking to parachurch organizations and uh, well-known women. Uh, uh, speakers if, uh, that for their information, and, and there are so many, so much bad teaching out there. Um, I heard a church say once when there was something going on about what was being taught in the women's ministry that, oh, yeah, the women's ministry, it's always, you know, it's, it's frequently the place where we have really bad teaching popping up. I'm like, well, why aren't you doing anything about that? Like, <laughs> um, you could stop that. 
I think sometimes, at least from stories that I hear, where the women's ministry becomes its own entity, they're doing their own thing, there's no oversight. And I think Amy actually says something like they're almost their own church. Right. There's no oversight from the elders. You know, in, in my church, when the women, if the women's Bible study wants to do a study, we actually have to submit that study to the elders um, for approval. Right, and I think that should be done with all material that's being used in the church for yeah. men, men's women, ministry. Children. Yeah, it men's should all ministry be is the vetted. same. Right, and um, and I I appreciate that mm-hmm. a lot, um, and I don't know if it's it's been like that in I think every Reformed church that I've been in. So hopefully that's that's common in Presbyterian Reformed churches. Uh, the most recent like before my husband and I joined the church that we're at now, um, I. I messaged and, and talked to the pastor about some things. And, and one of the, my questions was, okay, so what are the women's, women's group? What do they study? Right. And I was really pleased to hear that they were, I think it was the book of James last year and this year, it's some of the old Testament prophets. And, um, there, these are in-depth studies that anyone could do, right. That anyone should do. And I appreciated that, um, that interest in, in educating the women of the church. That's that's really encouraging. I, and I just have to say I'm grateful because I grew up with a mom who um, was always into studying scripture and um, studying theology. I don't think I ever saw her do a fluffy women's study. I think more often than not she opted out if it was something like that. And in fact, now she's uh, teaching a women's study that's, I don't know how long it's going to take them, but they've been doing it for, I think, close to a year already, where they're going, she's written it, where it's um, Christ through all of scripture. Oh, lovely. Yes. And it's it's so good. I've gotten to go to a couple of them. So they've been doing this for a long time, and they are now at the prophets. So this is very <laughs> in-depth, okay? <laughs> it is. Wow. So, um, and that's, that's the sort of thing I would love to see more uh, churches do. It, can you? What are some ways do you think that churches, if somebody's listening to us now, they're thinking, you know, this is something we want to change in our church. Uh, what are ways that the church can encourage women theologically and invest in them a little bit more? Well, I do think it's important to have uh, solid biblical training in the women's ministry and you know and and i say that more often than not in the churches that i've been in as an adult uh there have been on the whole more good bible studies for women than not so i i I can't complain too much about what i have had access to through my uh, personal upbringing but um having the elders pick some books that are uh you know solid teaching that focus on like walking through a book of the Bible and learning. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily start with like Revelation or Daniel or one of the ones that's, you know, pretty tricky to really get into, but something accessible, right? Especially for women who are not used to doing that level of study. Um, I think it's helpful at times to have one of the elders teach the women, right? So that they can, um, have that access to 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 solid training. Uh, I think women should be encouraged to come to uh, Bible study and uh, things that are church wide 
where they learn and they can ask questions and and be taught and encouraged to in those to speak up and and to participate and be a part of it. Uh, I think it's it's encouraged that women should be encouraged to uh, get formal and informal education, like going to seminary classes, and you know it's not about you know getting the same degree so that you can be that a pastor would have, but about uh, just theological training, because the the more you invest in women, that they are good, solid doctrine that they that they know uh, the truth and they can express they can teach it to others uh, in their circles. Uh, the the stronger your church will be, uh, and the the less susceptible your church will be to false teaching. And so, I, that's what I would think would be ways to encourage women. A good friend of mine, the one that I mentioned earlier, that's gone to be with the Lord now. Uh, she, one thing that she would say is, a lot of us women and moms are at home with our kids a lot of the time. You know, uh, you have you have teenagers now. I have teenagers now. You know the sorts of questions that kids ask, and the sorts of sometimes you get into a real deep theological discussion with your children. And you know, dad's at work all day, and you're home with them, maybe homeschooling. And that's another great reason. I mean, that's not the only reason, but that that's another reason that women should be equipped. Uh, my friend used to say, you know, we're we're the ones often at home with our kids having these theological discussions. And sometimes my kids will even ask me something that I think, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. Sure. I'm not, yeah. not sure. Um, but we have a lot of opportunities for those, for those conversations. We've talked a little bit, Rachel, just about some of the antagonism that we even see. And I, and just even how this plays out in relationships in the church and especially for women, can you talk a little bit about that? One of my concerns about uh, what happens when we decide that, or when we teach that women are more easily deceived, when we teach that women are, uh, by nature, that, that women are trying to usurp male authority and uh, that you have to be on guard against that, is that it, it undermines the, the unity and the interdependence that we're supposed to have as men and women uh, in marriage and in the church. And it, it it does create antagonism. So that there's this, this constant, you know, and I've even seen in some things, well, you know, my wife said that we should do something, but, you know, she's more easily deceived. So I'm not sure she's right. I'm not sure if I can trust what she says. And you know, how can how can you have a good relationship as a husband and wife, uh, if you can't, if you're constantly on guard about about that and, and trying to make sure that, you know, she's not trying to lead you, and it, it's just, it it really does undermine. Like, how do you how do you live together as a husband and wife, and in the church too? Like, if women bring up their concerns to the elders about something that's being taught, you know, do you just dismiss them because they're women? Do you? tell them, oh, you know, don't worry about this. It's, you know, you don't have to worry about this. The men are taking care of it. And, you know, or, well, you, maybe it's a problem, maybe it isn't, but I'm sure it's not a big deal. And I'm sure you misunderstood and just, you, you, you didn't understand it. I, it's no big deal. You've, you haven't had enough training to know that this is okay. Or, um, or even if it is a problem, you're, you're probably wrong. Right. And that, that attitude keeps us from using 
uh, and availing ourselves of the insight and of the, the gifts that women have in the church. And it especially affects our ability to co-labor together for the gospel. And I think even other things that we've talked about, like Genesis 3.16, where women are just always looked at with suspicion. Mm -hmm. So they're either more easily deceived or they're trying to usurp a man's natural authority. Right. It kind of creates a, um, creates in the church um, some problems overall. So one of the things that, that comes up is we're, we're female podcasters. Rachel, you're a writer. You've had a blog for a long time. And, you know, a lot of your blog posts were, have been on the Aquila Report, where men and women both read. You're not just writing for women. You're, you know, writing in general. And, and I've been told that um, I can't help it if a man listens to my podcast, but I should not be okay with it. And we see a big distinction between what happens in the church, um, the pastor and elders in the church, and a podcast or a book or a blog. Uh, there's nothing authoritative in what we're doing here. Um, and so ha have you gone through that with just some of your writing, too? Um, absolutely. It, I have had generally one of two responses to, especially when I get into some pretty deep theological discussions uh, on my blog. Um, on the one hand, some, some men, who, especially those who disagree with me, will say, you know, well, you're a woman, you shouldn't be correcting this this man or this pastor or this teaching because it's not your place. And more than that, you're wrong, right? So don't do this. But on the other hand, I've also had uh, guys who have used my research, who've appreciated what I've written, and who've written back to me to say, well, you know, we really appreciate what you've done, but, you know, you really shouldn't be doing it because you're a woman. And I always think, well, thanks. Okay. Um, glad you used it. <laughs> so what I think, though, in, in looking at it, and since what you said, Colleen, about, you know, what we do and when we write, when we talk, um, even when we teach uh, a women's Bible study, it's not authoritative. We're not speaking with the authority of the of the the church with the, with or uh, as being like ordained leaders where this is the official doctrine and teaching of of our of our churches you know we're speaking as one christian to another and there are so many passages in scripture that tell us as believers and brothers and sisters men and women that we are to be um, encouraging exhorting correcting teaching each other uh, and this, I believe, is, is a modern way of, of doing that in, in being online and through podcasting and blogging and, and even still in writing books. It's a way of uh, encouraging and discussing theology with each other, as I think we're called to do in Scripture. You know, I've even spoken with women who there is a view going around and it's on some, I forget what website it's on, but um, there's been several women that have promoted it. Uh, what, what this article says is that men, that their conclusion when it comes to um, men and women is that men should never learn doctrine from a woman. And, you know, you even think, you even look at a place like Facebook where there can be discussions between men and women, sometimes a man's going to learn something from a woman. But um, the there was women that told me that they're careful in theological discussions. They have people over after Sunday worship 
and they're having a theological discussion, they told me, well, I'm very careful about what I say in those discussions because um, I don't want a man to learn from me. And so the, it gets almost silly. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous to think that a man never learns from a woman just in the course of everyday life. My husband right. learns from me. Right. And I learn from him. Well, and it's, it's sad because of what it's coming from. Like it, the, the men, the knots that we're tying ourselves up into trying to make sure that we're not being disobedient to scripture and disobedient to God in how we interact. You know, we should be careful, obviously. Um, but, you know, we have, as we said, actual examples in scripture of men who learn from women and they were commended for it, not told this was wrong. You shouldn't have done this. Right. Right. And so I think that, you know, it's contrary to scripture to say that men can't learn from women. Yeah, I agree. And, um, and Rachel mentioned some of those examples earlier in the episode. So, well, I think this was a good discussion. So, so helpful because I think this particular line of thinking has been influential even in our circles and caused um and it's not good it's um not been good i think for the church overall uh like you talked about where women are looked at with suspicion often if they're into theology and and whatnot so well, we appreciate you joining us. I, it was fun recording our first episode with you, Rachel. I mean, even though you've been a guest, this was kind of you on the other side of the microphone. So, Very fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> and, you know, um, if you do have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about, you can email us at theologygals at gmail.com. We, we will dig into some of these uh, manhood, womanhood topics along the way. Uh, in further detail, some of the things that Rachel's written about in her book and some other books that are coming out uh, along the same subject. So we will see you next week.